podcast has bad words. <laughs> well, hello, patrons. What's up, y'all? We're here with TK Coleman today. What's We're up? talking about ec- economic hardships, and I mean, we've we've got a lot to talk about, but especially the the um, the successes and the failures of the free market. Mm. And mostly the successes. <laughs> well, and I think they're inextricably linked. Right? I was expecting you to get my back there, TK. <laughs> yeah, I got you back. But mostly the successes, though. <laughs> We're going to start with a little more about less. Here's a New York Times article <sighs> titled, He has 17,700 bottles of hand sanitizer and nowhere to sell them. Oh. Sub- subtitle, Amazon cracked down on coronavirus price gouging. <clears throat> now, while the rest of the world searches, some sellers are holding stockpiles of sanitizer and masks. Now, this man's name is Matt Colvin, and mm. if I had his address, I would put it on this podcast. <laughs> um, and uh, I, It's so hard not to project. Like, it's so hard to like... I mean, politically, I would do it. <laughs> right, I'd politically put up his address. <laughs> Not literally. Yeah, right, just politically. Metaphorically yeah. speaking, we'd put his address in the show notes. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I, the, my, when I read this article, which I'm going to read some of it to you, it's very long, so we'll put a link to the article in the show notes. You can read the whole thing if you'd like. Well, mm-hmm. TK, this article enrages me because I see simultaneously a failure of the free market and the success of the free market. Yeah. And I want to actually talk to you about how I think uh, Dr. Christopher Ryan has one of my favorite books written in the last year, a book called Civilized to Death. Sean, do we have any copies here? If we do, I want to give uh, TK a copy of it. If not, then uh, he's going to have to buy one on his own, capitalist. (laughs) Or go to the um, library and get it for free. Yeah. Socialist. The public library. (laughs) (laughs) Without Uh, which we wouldn't have any access to books. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Okay. It's a great point, TK. (laughs) So uh, the article goes like this, and then I will stop from momentary bits of rage. Oh, my God. Which is a good title for this episode, It it takes. It's honestly like it's going to take me everything to not like literally call this dude names. (laughs) All right. Go for it. All right. This is written by... Jack Nikos, uh, I guess he's. It's like Nicodemus, but without the Ademus. Hmm. All right. Anyway, <laughs> Nikos. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> On March first, the day after the first coronavirus death in the United States was announced, piece of shit brothers Matt and Noah. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasis mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Emphasis my own. Oh my Italics. Josh. Sorry, go ahead. Piece uh, of shit brothers. Piece of shit brothers. Matt and Noah Colvin set out in a silver SUV, which I imagine has a Confederate flag on it. Oh, my God. I'm going to say they're definitely wearing Confederate flag T-shirts. Oh, dude. So hard not to project. Um, yeah. A silver SUV to pick up some hand sanitizer. Driving around Chattanooga, Tennessee, these pieces of shit hit Dollar Tree... <laughs> Then Walmart, a Staples, and a Home Depot. At each store, they cleaned out the shelves. Over the next three days, piece of shit Noah Colvin took a 1,300-mile road trip across Tennessee and into Kentucky, filling a U-Haul truck with thousands of bottles of hand sanitizer and thousands of packs of antibacterial wipes, mostly from, quote, Little hole-in-the-wall dollar stores in the backwoods, his brother said. Quote, the major metro areas were cleaned out. Matt Colvin stayed home near Chattanooga, preparing for pallets of even more wipes and hand sanitizer he had ordered and, and starting to list them on Amazon. Mr. Colvin and, Mr. Colvin and he had posted 13, or sorry, had posted 300 bottles of hand sanitizer and immediately sold them on Amazon, for between eight and seventy dollars each, multiples higher than what he had bought them for. To him, quote, it was crazy money. To many others, it was profiteering from a pandemic. <clears throat> I would argue it was both. Okay, so we're going to continue this article here. Well, hold on, just read a little bit further because not th- yet. I want to okay. I I talk right. about this moment because okay. it, it is both. It is. I really appreciate the hustle of someone who will do this in non-crisis 
situations. Yeah. I I applaud someone like this who, if they were to see something in the market where, yeah. hey, I have the ability to go out and buy hand sanitizer for $3 and sell it at this uh, sporting event for $4. That's what buying in bulk is. Absolutely. I mean, it's so... A, you're talking about wholesale. Yes. But when you are monopolizing mm-hmm. uh, be, and, and creating your own own monopoly because of a pandemic, I, it becomes a problem because now we're talking... By the way, this isn't just hand sanitizer. He also did what? With the surgical masks, right? Yeah. And, and so you now have hospitals who don't have access to surgical masks. We're talking about people who might die because of their their profiteering tk yeah. what say you oh man um defend your fucking free market <laughs> P- piece of cake real easy uh the hard part is figuring out like man like what are the 50 things in my mind right now do i actually want to begin with so hard well so 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 let's first start with just a little bit of context uh and that context is no matter how we set up our world politically human beings will always do idiotic things that cause the rest of us to suffer. Mm-hmm. And there is no system that is ever going to protect you yeah. from that happening. And not just suffer, but death in this so, situation. So let, let, me, let, me, yeah. let me say, so what Dr. Christopher Ryan would say in Civilized to Death is that, um, and, and this is the argument I wanted to make, I made it a few episodes ago when we were recording about the, the pandemic preparation. And what he would say is, and, well, I would just call it that, pre-civilized people. So before 12,000 years ago, we did not have any uh, uh, agricultural societies and we lived in small tribes of 150 or less, Dunbar's number or, or less, uh, 150 or fewer. And and in that, these, these communities were true libertarians, free market people, but they were also true socialists because they all shared with each other uh, the, all of their resources. The, the best place for my abundant food, if I had extra food, was in my friend's stomach in, in those situations mm. because the numbers were small enough where that was manageable. So simultaneously, they were, they were free market libertarians and they were extreme socialists because they had their society set that up. And also people like like these piece of shit brothers here, they would have been they would have fallen off a cliff they would have fallen off a cliff, literally. Because people who behave like this amongst a tribe of hundred and fifty get killed. They get killed. Yeah. And so um, the society would have handled it. Would have so, handled so, it. so the free market would have killed those two guys. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm wondering right now what is ha- what is preventing people? And this is my last question. I'll let you let you uh, get in here, and you'll have us 30 minutes to to, to pontificate <laughs> if you'd like, TK. Um, I, I I'm wondering what is happening right now. I'm surprised these guys' addresses aren't online, and and there aren't some some good old boys in Kentucky and Tennessee who are like, hey, Matt and whatever your name is, yeah. Chuckus. Uh, uh, <laughs> Chuckus. I mean, Might as well be Chuckus. Yeah. So so uh, th- there are some guys pulling up to their house right now and, and beating the crap out of them, pouring hand sanitizer on their heads and then running away with their it's spoils. It's because of the regulation. It's because there are regulations in place to prevent these guys from getting murdered. There, there are some people who will will cope with the aggravated assault <clears throat> charge because of what these yeah. guys are doing to good people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but again, like there is that regulation in place that will make someone question whether or not they're going to do that. I just can't tell you, and sorry, TK, we are going to let you talk. Um, I, I just can't tell you how pleased it makes me that they have wasted, not only have they wasted resources. Come on, Rebecca. They, they, have, they have wasted their resources. They have wasted... Uh, uh, their their money, because you know. Oh, well, I'm looking out for my family. Well, guess what, buddy? You screwed your family over because now instead of money, you've got hand sanitizer that you can't sell. And right. how satisfying it is to see them sitting on a mound of nothing. Anyway, all right. So yeah, yeah. All right, TK. I'm done. I'm done. That's the yeah. only. That's that's as much projection as I'm going to give right now. Yeah, this, this is great stuff, man. <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm proud to be a voice for of advocacy for free markets, but. Uh, I, I got to go back to setting context because I want to hey, make defend sure. defend these pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so okay, so let, let me speak to that. Um, I, I don't believe this is a free market failure. I believe this is, I believe that it's a human failure. And I believe that free markets are the best system for dealing with these kinds of failures. Okay. okay? Um, and, 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 I, and I do want to say here that the question is never what kind of system can we adopt that prevents these kinds of human failures from happening because there is no such system. 
The question is, given the flaws and imperfections that are inherent in being human, what is the kind of system that most effectively deals with these kinds of problems, right? Because we can agree that in a world of imperfect systems, some systems are more effective than other systems at resolving the kinds of imperfections that arise. And I would contend that the free market approach is more effective at dealing with these kinds of people. And, and, and I'll show you how it's actually happening in real time yeah. in this very discussion. Yeah. The free market is dealing with these guys right now in this discussion. So I just want to point out, we have described how the free market has created this problem. And now TK is going to talk about how the free market not has only created this problem, but how it's also solving the problem. So I don't think the free market has created the problem. I, I believe this problem is inevitable. So here, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll give an example. Right. So, so you're saying it's human failure, which is another great title for the episode, by the way, Sean. Yeah. yeah so, 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 human so failures. Let's just start with basic economic fact. Under, under any regime, um, prices are dictated by supply and demand, right? Why are diamonds higher priced than coffee mugs? Right, like, why is gold higher price than pens and pencils? Right, mm -hmm. it has something to do with supply and demand. There, there's a different ratio of supply and demand when we compare these objects. Mm -hmm. When, when a crisis happens, okay, and um, the demand for water increases for a temporary period of time, water becomes a kind of gold. It's a commodity. Okay, yeah. yeah. Toilet, toilet really becomes more valuable because economically speaking, value is not an inherent property of objects themselves. There is no objective economic value we can attribute to toilet paper and water. Mm -hmm. It's all based on supply and demand. Value is subjective. How much is a Justin Bieber album worth? Depends on the guy that's buying it. How, how much is a concert ticket worth paying for? There's no objective answer to this, right? It depends on the supply and the demand. Mm -hmm. So things can fluctuate depending on the kind of situation that we're in. So in a crisis, something like water, toilet paper, these things can become like diamonds <clears throat> and gold. So let's assume that we lived in a different world where no one did things like that. It doesn't change the fact that we are going through a crisis that makes the demand for these things higher. Mm -hmm. No government can change that fact. There's only a certain amount of toilet paper sure. being produced by these businesses. Mm -hmm. There's only a certain amount of bottled water that's being produced, and we just shifted ourselves into a world where the demand is higher. Yes. So, so, so what's your outcome that's gonna be different from this? I, I would contend that you guys aren't gonna be able to give me any answer that's different from someone doing the same thing, but in a way that's a little no. bit more socially acceptable. I, I wanna hear from you <clears throat> what the alternative could be. Because so, so, I would contend so this just, is gonna be inevitable. I just, wanna I just wanna make sure that I understand your question. You're saying that if there weren't shithead humans like this that didn't stockpile on hand sanitizer and masks, what would be the alternative if if we can cut out the human the the human failure aspect of it? Is that what you're saying? No, no. So so, so the problem isn't just that they're hoarding this stuff, right? The right. reason we think they're jerks is because they're buying up they're buying stuff that like costs five bucks. They're doing what people do with the diamonds. They're creating right. yes, right. They're buying something that costs five. But we bucks. don't need diamonds during a crisis, and right, that's right, right, the difference. Right, right. Yeah. They're buying something that costs five, and then they're selling it for fifty, right? right. And that's what makes us contend that they're jerks. And I'm not going to defend them. But, but selling but, things but, that we need during a crisis—that's what makes. Yeah, but, but what's right, the right, right. But, but, but more, get, more importantly yeah, than that, we need is because of the crisis, the demand for these things has increased exponentially. Of course, so they have become more economically valuable. Yes. It now becomes accurate to compare hand sanitizer to gold no, and diamonds. That's that's 100% okay. that's 100% correct. Okay, so my question is, no, it, it doesn't. I disagree with you. Okay, I, I, I no, want to no, hear no, why. no, no, no. The hand sanitizer. Again, let me just make sure because you guys are way smarter than me. So I just want to like make sure that I'm keeping up here. What you're saying, TK, is that again, take the human aspect out of it, regardless of what has happened. Hand sanitizer and and toilet paper are now commodities and they're going to be charged at a higher price because now there's a limited supply and that's what happens in the free market. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm saying this. Yeah, you got it right. The supply okay. is the same, but because of a crisis, it's the worth demand more. has been artificially increased exponentially. Yes. Okay. So my question to you is, what do you think is going to happen to the price of this? Assuming those, assuming everyone plays nice, mm -hmm. what happens in a world where, where we all need more of this or think we need more of this, but the supply has remained the same? Okay, so the prices go up. Uh, what I would say, I'm sorry, Josh. You, you sound like you really wanted to say something. You go for it. Well, yeah, I was. I had a whole point. Um, go for it about the 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 gold. I mean, the, the reason it's different from gold is you don't need gold during a crisis, but you, surgeons, uh, doctors need, uh, especially yeah, any frontline healthcare provider. They're risking their life because of pieces of shit like this are are hoarding these masks. And by the way, now they're not even allowed to sell them. So it, the 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 market is actually. 
the market itself, the Amazon, uh, 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 Etsy, eBay, etc., have cracked down on price gouging, and understandable that that is the market presenting a solution, right? Yeah, sure. But now this guy has a this piece of shit has a a garage full of these hand sanitizer, everything else, and people might die as a result because of his. Uh, Entrepreneurial yeah, way. Right. Well, I and, agree and, with you. I don't want to defend but, but, that guy. But, 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 but before but, but, you go on, I just want to say that the free market has incentivized him to do this. The free market is what has incentivized him to be a piece of shit. I, I, I would say I would say that's I would say I would deny that and what I would say is that is that person's reaction to the economics of supply and demand that would exist in any world that you want to set up. Mm -hmm. There is nothing that this guy can do to change the simple principle that when you have a limited supply for some resource mm -hmm. and the demand for that resource grows exponentially and more people want it than they normally do, okay. there's something that happens. Okay, and, and, I, and, I, and I want you guys to tell me what you think would happen in a world where nobody did Okay, I'll tell you what will happen is that rich people are the only ones who, who can live through this. So let's say that people did need gold and then they did need diamonds. Let's say a Rolex did cure the coronavirus. Now it's only accessible to to rich people and like that that is the that's so, the, so, that's so, the issue so whole i have foods with and target <clears throat> now they become the jerks who say well because we have a limited supply and an increased demand we're going to charge 30 well, there's well, a difference so you're, you're making a, a, an argument for for regulations on pricing it sounds like and, and so what you, what, I, 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 I can tell you what the regulation on pricing scenario looks like right but what i'm saying is like I, you could have someone uh, and i'm actually surprised like someone like donald trump hasn't done this hasn't gone to uh uh chuck and chuckus's house here and um uh god i wish i had the address so i could just give it out politically of course it's so not, funny because my literally. my initial reaction is like i want to find these guys on twitter uh -huh. Because what I'll do is I'll oh, find they're, they're like getting this. piled on. on oh, Twitter. they canceled they're, their they're Twitter accounts. Yeah, or they're like private. They they're yeah, they're private accounts. But, but here's point. the thing. Like I, I no, I don't believe. I just to be clear, I don't believe in doxing. No, um, of course not. These, these are all these are all jokes. Um, but but I uh, there is a picture of them right here. Look at them trying to make them look like a regular family. I hope he's. I hope he's transferring the coronavirus to his wife right here. Yeah, dude. Politically, yeah. of course, not not really. Right. Um, well, you know, can, but, I, can I address the regulation on pricing? Uh, thing? Yeah. Well, let's yeah. let's talk about regulation. So let me yeah. let me just say this. So so I'm surprised that the current administration, because actually Donald Trump is is good at making a show of something like this, where he would send in a, a uh, make it a national emergency, make uh, stockpiling or price gouging illegal, and and seizing these sorts of assets. Um, and and to me, the, there there is a, a knee-jerk reaction where I'm like, oh, that feels like the right thing to do. Tell me why that's the wrong thing to do. Look, if, if, if you want to solve this problem with regulation, you're, you're going to need a little bit more regulation than what you might might think on the surface. So let's say we did something like, um, I, let's say the average price for like the bottle water we buy is like five bucks a case or something like that. Um, and we say, all right, in order to de-incentivize the price gouging people like the guy in this article, we're going to say no one, nowhere can charge more than $5, right? Yeah. Okay. But that still hasn't regulated my fear, right? So that still doesn't stop me from, from valuing water more now than I ever did, uh -huh. being afraid of the fact that there's a limited supply and there's a crisis. Mm -hmm. And okay, I can't turn around and sell it, but because the price is cheap, or the price is the same, I can still buy it just the same, and I'm gonna buy a little bit more just in case. Mm. So now you need a different law, you need an additional law. In About fact, quantity. Yeah, in, yeah. in fact, you've made it a little worse, and here's why. Because in order to be the price gouging guy, you actually need financial advantages that the average person doesn't have. The average person is not financially in a position where they can go buy all the bottles of water. Right. And, and then try to hoard them and sell. That's an initial upfront investment mm. that's very expensive. And you need to have some capital to do that. Right. Sure. Once you remove that guy's advantage and you put the price controls in, you allow me to play that game. And even though I can't earn from price gouging, I can profit. I mean, I, I can react to my fears by buying more than I need. So how do you solve that problem? Because you still haven't taken away my ability based on fear, not greed, to buy up as much water Let's as I can. Let's pause there. Let's unpack that Me and 10 other people still clean out the shelves. What do we do now? Yeah, but hold on a second. You don't clean out the shelves though. This guy, if the price was regulated, would not have 1,800 bottles. I'm sorry, 18,000 bottles of hand sanitizer. He might have 18. He might look like, oh, I'm gonna have six months worth of supply, but it's not going, if you, if you regulate the price, 
you are not incentivizing hoarding because the wor- the worst thing he can do is buy 18,000 bottles of hand sanitizer and then resell them for exactly what he paid for them, which no one would do. So, so I think you're totally right that that guy isn't going to do that particular thing anymore and we're not going to have his or problem. Or any other shithead humans because I guarantee you if it wasn't if it wasn't Chuck or Chuckus, it'd have been it'd have been somebody uh, another yeah, yeah. Chuck and Chuckus. So so, so here's here's mm-hmm. where we may we may discover that we make different assumptions about how people react to a crisis. So I'm going to tell you my assumption and you let me know if we disagree. Sure. Um, so my assumption is when a supply for a commodity is limited and mm-hmm. a crisis artificially inflates the demand for that supply, mm-hmm. there are people who are going to react out of fear, whether you like it or not, and they are going to consume more of that supply yes, 100%. on a just-in-case-I-need-it basis. Absolutely. Yes. And yes. some of those people will probably be irrational okay. and unfair. How, how, does, how do we fix guys like this? With how, free how, market. How, yeah, how, how do we? How, what's your solution to prevent? What's my free market like solution? Like? Yes. So, so, so remember when I when I set the context. One of the things I said is that we can't seek a system that stops human beings preemptively from doing any of the idiotic, selfish, unfair things they can do. But we do want a, a system that can effectively resolve these problems and de-incentivize them when they happen. So there are a few ways that free markets can deal with this, and they're actually happening in real time right now. Number one, on this podcast with your following, you actually cited that dude's name. Mm-hmm. Right. And and you referenced a source that has a bigger following than you. Mm-hmm. Right. This guy's name is out there. Mm-hmm. OK. Yeah. Um, and his image is out there. You just showed a picture of this guy. Mm-hmm. OK. Shaming is one of the most powerful social forces we have. You, you gave an example earlier of like how this guy in that tribe you mentioned mm-hmm. would have been thrown off a cliff. Right. Metaphorically, that's what's happening to that dude right now. He's mm-hmm. being metaphorically thrown off a cliff. Mm-hmm. He is having his character assassinated. His life is never going to be the same, not even five years from now. We know what he looks like, we know his name, we don't know his address, and he is being framed as the poster boy for greed and selfishness in this world. Mm -hmm. Don't think for a single moment that that's not going to affect the decisions that he makes about his future and that other people make, no matter how much smack talk he needs to make in order to get through the moment and appear strong. That's only one thing that's happening. The second thing that's happening is that same article you mentioned also talked about a guy that's complaining that he's got all this inventory that he can't move. Right. Mm -hmm. The free market doesn't just allow you to profit on opportunities. It allows you to be punished when you can't actually move your inventory. And the reason this is happening is because Amazon, not through a law, Mm -hmm. heard about this and through greed and self-interest say, hey, we want to be the good guys. It's Mm -hmm. profitable to be the good guys. And by the way, they they, they would make they would make more money in the short term by letting him sell it because they take their 15 percent. But you're saying the long term benefit or the the long term benefit is more profitable to to block a guy like that. Any entrepreneur will will tell you in a moment like this, there is nothing more economically profitable than being a man of the people, than being the hero and doing the right thing. It is financially profitable, profitable to be that long term. Yeah. Yeah. So Amazon comes in. Right. And, and, and they stop these accounts and say, we're not going to let you do this. And guess what? These guys are being punished by the free market now because they're stuck with a bunch of hand sanitizers that they can't move. That's your capital that you just lost. You are going to be forced in the future to move that at a discount price, just like any business that has to close. That's so, so interesting, TK, because your argument is actually for regulation. Amazon is regulating this guy. Yeah, yeah, but 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 it, it's it's regulation in the same way that if I come over to Josh's house and I want to walk around with my shoes, he says, "Look, brother, you got a choice to do what you want to do, but on my private property, you got to respect my household and take off your shoes, mm-hmm. or you can choose to leave." But there's no violence or coercion here. So you're we not are a, both free entities. You're, you're, so, so, self-regulation versus government. Yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. So, so I do believe right. in voluntary regulation. Okay. I do believe that if you own a piece of property, you get to set the rules for how that property is used and respect it, yeah. and you get to enforce those rules. I can't get in your car and behave however I wish to behave, mm-hmm. right? I do. I, I do acknowledge individual rights. So Amazon does sure. get to set the terms and conditions of what you have to do to use I their guess, service. I guess it's and hard. that person can be free to not use Amazon. It's hard for me to separate Amazon and the government because I kind of look at a thing, a company like Amazon or a company like Apple, and I what I do is I see these these private governments sure, essentially sure. because they employ so many people. So that's why I'm having the hard disconnect. So uh, I, but I, yeah, I, but, I will sympathize with that real quick and just say part of that is not your fault. Part of it is based on the reality that a lot of these bigger companies have lobbyists who put them in bed with the government in mm-hmm. various ways. And so we're not even seeing a pure free market. We're seeing a highly restricted free market. Yeah. That, that's one thing. Uh, but one, one important difference, however, is that unlike the government, 
it is legal to compete with Amazon. Yeah. And that's a very important thing. 100%. Yeah, totally agree. You can't agree. compete with the government. You can't set up your own private road system. Right, like, like it is illegal. They, they, they will put you in jail. No one's going to put me in jail for trying to compete with Amazon. Well, I, I can rise or fall on my own creativity. Yeah. And on last week's episode, we were talking about uh, how the, the CDC and the FDA were sort of conspiring. Like These hospitals, had they uh, circumvented the FDA, they would actually get shut down for trying to help people. And that's a, an example of, of the most egregious regulation gone wrong. Mm. Yeah. And, and But you're saying there are gradations of that, that, that it doesn't have to be that egregious to still be a, um, an unnecessary regulation. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and so, so going back to these guys, I think, I think we're watching the free market punish them now in a really powerful way mm -hmm. that does actually affect the future decisions of human beings and that will permanently affect the quality of lives of these people who try to take <clears throat> advantage of the system. The free market is dealing with it in a powerful way. But the other thing that I, that I was trying to say earlier is that this is still a problem that will, will happen anytime there's a crisis, no matter what system you have. So even if we try to regulate and say, you can only sell this at so much, we're still going to experience scarcity because regulations don't increase the supply right. and the demand has already increased. So, so if there's one bottle of water here and we all need it to live and we got six people in this office, there's no regulation that can produce more water. We mm -hmm. still have a problem. And so we can have a debate about like, should violence play a role? Should we ration it out equally or whatever it may be? Yeah. And whoever is the person or whatever decision is made, yeah. there's, there's gonna be some hotly contested debate and somebody's gonna look like a total jerk. Yeah, I, I feel like, I don't feel like there's a, there's a winner to this argument because ultimately there is the human failure <clears throat> and regulation does not fix human failure and free market does not fix human failure. And I think really what it goes back to is TK, what you constantly preach, man, is we've got to take responsibility ourselves and we got to be good humans and we got to be good stewards to our community. That is what is going to fix society. It's not, it's not lifting all the regulations. It's not uh, over-regulating. It is, it's, it's really up to us. So, so this is why I'm an, and I know this isn't the topic, but this is why I'm an advocate for freedom of speech and why I think freedom of speech is so valuable. Um, and, and at the same time, like all forms of freedom, they have responsibilities and negative consequences. Mm -hmm. So the, the trouble with freedom of speech is that it gives someone the ability to, you know, call me bad names or to say mean things that can really hurt me, to say things that can even traumatize me, right? Like, like freedom of speech comes with a lot of scary consequences. At the same time, freedom of speech comes with the ability for me to use my voice in a way to shame those people, in a way to call them out, mm -hmm. in, in a way to influence society to take my side and ostracize people like that. And we're seeing that at work now. Mm -hmm. Like freedom of speech, we are using our power, we are using our freedom to bring guys like this to attention mm -hmm. and make people ostracize them, make people marginalize them. And that's one of the most powerful, effective tools we can use to discourage you know, uh, destructive behavior in a community. It's so funny because the, the other side of that coin is this cancel culture we live in. Mm. And some people ostracize and shame uh, where people don't deserve to be ostracized and shamed. So it's interesting because until this argument right here, TK, I never thought that the cancel culture had any valid. I, I thought it was vapid. I thought that it was uh, pernicious and it's just a bunch of, it's a bunch of other chuckuses just sitting on a couch who are going to tweet instead of actually going out and do something for society. But this is the first time I've seen the other side of it where I'm like, you know what? Maybe, maybe some people do deserve to be shamed a little bit. And one of, one of the real interesting <laughs> things about that, and I, I wouldn't defend every single aspect of council culture, but one of the interesting things about that is a lot of the people who have had their careers uh, taken away from them, mm -hmm. a lot of the people that have suffered as a result of it are people that the legal system had too many loopholes mm -hmm. to bring to justice, right? There are documented cases of people who actually did bring evidence against certain people for the things they had done. Mm -hmm. And you know, the legal system just didn't have what it takes to finish the deal and to bring people to justice. And the court of public opinion said, all right, we'll use voluntary shaming. We'll use jokes. We'll, we'll use freedom of association, not wanting to be your friend, not wanting to work with you, not wanting to do projects with you. And that has actually had a much more powerful effect yeah. you know, than anything a courtroom could In have done. Ways. Yeah, I think yeah. most people that get, quote, canceled, um, they, they tend to be just fine. And, and I think maybe it's a bit overblown. When we talk about 
cancel culture a lot of these people there's there's corrections just like anything else right so so we went from from a, a society that had people who were doing egregious things and then there was this response me too is uh is a response to people like uh harvey weinstein mm -hmm. right. and and great i mean put him under the jail right yeah. but but and by the, the way people like that have always been fine in jail too like like rich people jail is very different from poor people jail right, right. Oh, sure absolutely yeah, yeah. And, and um and so you you have someone like that who i mean yeah he'll be fine yeah. but like it won't be it won't he, be he might the have same to eat as, olive garden every night you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and so oh the um, humanity but then there are other people that we we lump in with like like an aziz ansari and that he, he was getting for the for a moment getting the same treatment and that was unfortunate because uh, the aziz ansari thing seemed to me just like oh you're not good at oral sex like how is that different <laughs> that, that that that's so radically different from uh harvey weinstein who was literally you know, raping women and and uh, taking advantage of people based on the sort of power structure and me too needed to congregate around that when people tried to congregate against sort of like an aziz i'm sorry most of us looked at that and said no not the same thing right sure. and, and he's back and, and better than ever now as a result because most of us looked at it and we were like no not buying it right now it doesn't mean there are are some accidental casualties there and that 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 becomes really unfortunate yeah uh and there are gradations even even within that you know louis ck is somewhere in between those two men right i, I just mentioned right yeah yeah and uh he used his power uh, and to, in in situations where he didn't maybe even realize he had power and I, I will tell you it does seem like he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of of remorse for what happened in, the, in that entire situation but i can also tell you that um, it's not that he didn't do the same thing as Harvey Weinstein. Right. And, and when we start equating the two, we can compare the two. But sure. we start equating the two, that's when we, we, we have a real problem. And, and so we can shame someone like that because it is wrong to take advantage of other human beings. And mm, I, I, yeah. think, I think as someone who, you know, you, you talk about not coercing other people and, and, and avoiding coercion altogether, yeah. you have people like Harvey were certainly was using force and violence and coercion. You have someone like Louis C.K. where it's a bit more gray, but there's coercion there. You have someone like Aziz Ansari where it's like, no, it doesn't seem like uh, it doesn't seem like he did anything necessarily wrong. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but but yeah. it, did, it certainly didn't seem like it to me. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things I want to say about uh, about free markets and how we how we solve problems, it, it's important to understand that that neither a free market philosophy nor an interventionist philosophy is even attempting to provide a solution for all problems. It, it, it's 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 an effort to create a societal structure that optimizes our ability to deal with the inevitability of problems, right? So, so no political philosophy that, is going to change the fact that when you meet that person you love, it's possible they might cheat on you. You can't set up society in a way that's going to stop that from happening, right? Like, like the free markets can't stop your girl from cheating on you. I'm so sorry. I wish free markets could, but it can't. But neither can state interventionism. That's just a sucky thing. That is a possibility, and there are so many things like that in life. The free market can't stop the fact that you might sacrifice your whole life for your kids and love on them and love on them, and then when they turn 18, they say, I hate you, mom, I hate you, dad, I blame you for every bit of unhappiness that I experience. Free market can't do anything about that. Like, you know, people can be jerks, people can be unfair, human beings will always create suffering for one another, mm. and we just gotta figure out what's the best way that we can give ourselves the best chance at using our creativity and intelligence to try to resolve these things, and we'll always have unsolved mysteries and complicated challenges that we don't know what to do with. Speaking yeah. of unsolved mysteries and complicated challenges we don't know what to do with, we have uh, a bunch of questions here from our audience. That was a heck of a segue, man. So <laughs> I wonder what he would have said if I would have been like unsolved murders. Like, speaking of, <laughs> speaking unsolved, of unsolved murders. murders. <laughs> uh, first question here, uh, Maria in New York City says, what are the wisest investments to make in my early 20s to retire by my early 30s. So you're talking about a really aggressive plan to retire. The first it's thing, possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, TK, tell me what you think here. But I would ask, uh, first I would ask yourself, why do you want to retire by your early 30s? If it's so you can sit at home and play video games, th that it may not lead to a meaningful life, necessarily. It, it might for you. But uh, quite often what we do, we think of this uh, mythical retirement. Well, I'll just be able to watch my favorite movies of all time. You can do that now. You don't right. have to retire in order. So I'll be able what, to travel when I want. 
R- right. right. Ryan and I aren't retired, but maybe uh, maybe we technically are. Like we, we left the corporate world. We don't, we're not retired, but but Ryan and I have traveled more in the last decade since leaving the corporate world without retiring than I ever imagined I, w- I would travel. 100%. Retirement is not the the magic bullet. So ask yourself, why do you want to retire by 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 early thirties? Mm-hmm. And if you have a good answer for that, great. But if it, if it's to rest on your laurels, guess what? You're probably not going to find a whole bunch of satisfaction in in doing so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. So, if you want to retire by the time you're 30, here are a few things that you're going to have to do, whether you like it or not. Um, number one, you're going to have to write down a list of the things that you want to do when you retire. You, you've got to make a decision, even if you happen to find out that you're wrong in the future. You got to decide where you're going to live. Mm-hmm. You got to decide what kind of lifestyle do you want to have. Do you want to live in a home? Are you okay with living in an apartment when you're 30? Do you want to be married? Do you want to have kids? But TK, I can't make decisions for my 30-year-old self. Well, you're making a decision for your 30-year-old self right now by deciding at 20 that you want to retire. So let's go all the way with it. Where do you want to live? What do you want your lifestyle to be? Because that's what's going to help you get your number. There is no Mm -hmm. objective number for retirement. You can retire on $450,000 if you want to live a certain way. It might take you $10 million to retire if you demand that you live a certain way. So you've got to get that number. Make a long list of all the dreams and the lifestyle uh, details that you need. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to quantify that in economic terms. That's the first thing. Know what your number is. If you don't know what that is, everything else is meaningless. And there's a lot of resources out there. Like you can look at retirement calculators. There's many. Chris Hogan has one. I know that in the fire community, which Josh brought up on the minimal episode, there's a lot of resources out there for you to help figure out what that number is. Yeah. There's this Mike Murdoch quote I really like. He says, prosperity is having enough of God's provisions to complete his instructions for your life. That means one person can be prosperous if they make six figures. Another person can be prosperous if they only make $30,000. Are you completing God's instructions for your life? So relative to your individual mission, the definition of wealth is having enough resources to live the life that you get to define as being meaningful. The second thing I would say is if you want to be rich, if you want to get a lot of money, that means you want to get other people to give you a lot of their money. And there's only one proven time-tested way to get human beings to voluntarily reach into their pockets and hand you their money. It's a hoard hand sanitizer. (laughs) (laughs) And And, it's buy a whole lot of hand sanitizer. And surgical masks. You're going to have to buy a lot of hand sanitizer. The only way to do that is to give them something more valuable. That makes them want to part with that money. So you've got to make an investment in being a student of humanity and getting really good at creating value for other people. And so one thing I would pay attention to is, hey, what are your curiosities and your interests? Because if you're going to be working really hard to create value for a lot of people, you want to make sure you're doing that in a way that you have an advantage and that you're going to enjoy. Because if you're just focused on making a lot of money, you're going to burn out real fast because here's the open secret about people. We are really difficult to deal with. And when we give you our money for something, we feel real entitled about it. You know, mm-hmm. we talk very differently if you're five minutes late to pick us up from the airport, if you're our spouse versus if you're the Uber driver. We got different attitudes about things when we pay money. So if mm-hmm. you're going to be dealing with people, you've got a real hard road ahead and you want to make sure that you're dealing with them in a way that is meaningful for you. So you want to make sure the process of getting that money isn't governed by just the need for money. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to your curiosity curiosities, pay attention to your passions and go into business and something that you can enjoy. Third, you've got to be better than the average person in order to create the kind of value that's going to help you retire at 30. You're asking for something that is the equivalent of me saying, how do I make it to the NBA? You need to be better than just the average person that right. playing basketball, right? You're asking me how to make the Hall of Fame of, of finances. You can do it, but it is the Hall of Fame and you got to be real about what you're going after. So that means you're going to have to invest significantly in your intelligence. It's not about buying up some stocks right now. It's about buying up some books and reading the heck out of those books and being smarter than just about everybody that you know. know? Yeah, 100 percent, man. I I think what what I feel like Maria is asking is, hey, what's the next Bitcoin that I can put my money in right now to retire by 30? And if I had that answer, Maria, like I'd share with everyone and I'd do it myself. But we don't have that answer. The truth is, is if you're 20, you can retire in your early 30s, but it's going to take a whole hell of a lot of sacrifices right now. Uh, I love. uh, 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 No, I love how you brought up the fire community in the minimal episode because there is a whole community out there 
Uh, financial independence, retire early. That is what FIRE stands for. There's a documentary out there. We had there Travis are, uh, Shakespeare on the podcast. Yes, there are so many resources out there that people talk about doing exactly what Maria wants to do. And what I love about this yeah. whole FIRE community is there is no easy answer. There mm. are simple answers, yeah. a lot of simple answers, but simple is not easy. And Maria, if you want to retire at 30, you're going to work your ass off. You're going to you're going to dedicate the next 10 years of your life to uh, virtually putting yourself in a poverty situation yeah. in a in a uh, what do we what do we call it? In a restricted you're restricting yourself. You are temporarily depriving yourself. Yeah. You're going to put yourself in a, in a in a situation of depravity in order to get there. But you can do it. Okay. You can totally do or, it. Or or here here's Here's the simpler solution. Not easy. <laughs> simpler solution. Hmm. Redefine what it means to retire. Yeah. Because right now, right, I I will often tell people I retired at age thirty. Yeah, me too. And and they're like, oh, were you set financially? No, no, no. no, no. I still have to do things to make money. Mm-hmm. But I I left the corporate world, and so I redefined what mm. it meant to be retired. Mm. Meaning, I still have to do things to earn a living, but it's no longer about you know, doing the thing that I dislike so I can make enough money to maintain a lifestyle that wasn't even bringing me joy in the first place. Mm. More questions here. Adam, actually, we have three questions that are all about cars. I want to sort of put these together here. Adam in Myrtle Beach asks, how do I determine at what point financially that it makes sense that I get rid of a car I owe money on. Victoria says, does it make economic sense to get rid of my car and rely on public transportation? Jordan just did a great video about this. We'll talk about that. And then Mike in Rochester says, does it make economic sense to rent a car like I rent an apartment? And There's uh, no binary answer to any of these questions. I would say no to the last one. Um, but, and the reason I would say no is it doesn't make sense to rent a car. Mm-hmm. Because Unless I'm living in Europe for a year and I'm just like, I happen to be there for one year and I need a car to get from point A to point B. Right, right. I mean, yeah. there are, I mean, yeah, there, there's no binary answer. Right. And so, so generally, if we need to have a car, if, if you need a car, your best bet is to buy a car that you can afford. Now, what does afford mean? Afford means not that I can afford the payment Mm -hmm. that's not affording a car a car means i can pay for the car in cash right now without dipping into my emergency fund without affecting my uh uh, without being in any any sort of debt Mm -hmm. and being able to still contribute to my retirement savings as well oh and can you afford the upkeep and can you afford cleaning it and can you afford storing it like i just got rid of my 2004 toyota corolla for a raw four it's a very simple, like a very inexpensive car relative to the Tesla I was looking at getting. And dude, there's so many more costs that go into this RAV4 because it's like it's nice, it's got a nice interior, it's white. So even though white is you know relatively easier to keep clean than black, like it still has to be clean on a regular basis. I, <laughs> I start to notice, I start to notice every little thing on the floor now. I you know it's like there's so many more costs than just the price tag. So yeah. consider those costs as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, so, so TK, we, we've got some questions about, about cars here, public transportation. Uh, you haven't seen this yet, but uh, Jordan, each month, he does a, a video called Unpacking Minimalism. Mm. So it's on our YouTube channel. And uh, each month, he takes a little something we talk about on the podcast, and he unpacks it yeah. for, uh, for our viewers. And it's, it just becomes this like little mini documentary, eight to 10 minute documentary. And what, what he does is, so for the example, the last one he did, episode two of Unpacking Minimalism, it was called The Car. And he looked at like people who have cars, like uh, me and Ryan and, and his friend, what's your friend's name? Clayton, Clayton that's right. Clayton, it's a hilarious car. You got to check out the video. We'll so put a good. link to it in the show notes. But then also Erin, who works in this building uh, that we're at, and she got rid of her car before she moved here. And... Um, because she thought it would like save her money, but she found out she's been using Uber and Lyft. And this answers Victoria's question. Should I just rely on public transportation? Maybe it might make sense for you, especially if you live in New York City or yeah. if, if you live in uh, Hollywood yeah. and you're going downtown every day to work. But if you live in work. Fairfield, Dayton, like yeah. you might need a car. Right. Yeah. And so, so it becomes much more difficult. And so Aaron, it, it, she said in the video, she spends over $600 a month on uber now i'm not saying put that toward a car payment i don't think that's the right thing either what i'm saying is buy a cheap car you're going to save the 600 dollars a month which wow. then you could save up and buy a nicer car if you want or mm-hmm. you could, if you don't care about cars we know rich people like uh uh um eric weinstein, weinstein yeah uh, uh i'm sorry yeah Wein, yeah, Weinstein. Uh, we were talking about Harvey Weinstein earlier. Eric Weinstein, um, and he's 
He does not he have works a for Peter Thiel, but he has a, a he beater. has a reason. Yeah, he has a little bit of a beater, and it's a reasonable car. And I'll tell you, like how I was actually a little jealous because I still own my 2004 Toyota Corolla. Like when I saw his car. And I was like, dude, I didn't think anyone had a crappier car than me in LA. And here he is, who can totally afford a Tesla. Yeah. No problem. Has gone. It's you know, it's like the Warren Buffett thing, man. But I'll tell you, like someone who is in Aaron's situation, uh, maybe someone is like, okay, how do I go from six hundred bucks a month in Ubers to uh, you know buying a car and and not spending like six hundred dollars a month? Like Aaron could totally start uh, maybe getting some uh, rides from work, carpools. She could start taking public transportation to start putting away maybe two hundred bucks a month. So then by the end of the year, she can buy a two thousand dollar car mm-hmm. and then start putting away that six hundred dollars a month. So yeah, I mean, all these questions, it's so perspectival because you've really got to look at, hey, where do you live? What are your resources? What are you, what time and, and attention and not just the money, but I mean, everything. What resources are you willing to uh, put into a car? I mean, you really have to make the decision for yourself. And this is really... But Josh and I and TK, like we've been talking about this whole time, is like, yeah, this is a this is an opportunity for you to self regulate and figure out what that self regulation means for you. Well, I, we're in we're in LA, and it's sort of the. I mean, you you lived in LA for a long time, TK. You're in South Carolina right now, and the amount of uh, sort of half a million dollar cars per capita is insane here, right? Oh my god! And uh, yeah. I'll, I'll be walking through West Hollywood and. You see Lamborghinis driving down, and it's like from they're gonna rev up their engine to go from one red light to the next. Yeah. And so at some point, the cars become a a sort of status symbol, right? Yeah. And and it's if, if you want a nice car, great. I, I have a, I have a nice car. It's a nice Toyota, um, and I enjoy the car that I drive in. It also doesn't make up my identity. It's not who I am as a person. Yeah. So, like, well, let me get perspectival for a second. Yeah. Man, like when, when Ryan dropped that word, I was like, man, like he didn't stutter. I, I don't know. Per, say it again. Perspect- perspectival. Or you, could, or you could say perspectival. Whatever you want, man. Like <laughs> Tomato, potato. <laughs> perspectival for a minute, man. That's a million dollar word right there. I'm about to be a little more minimalist, though. Uh, let me give a little perspective. Um, no, you know, I, I agree with that, man. And I, I think that's a hard temptation to resist especially when you when you kind of live in a city like like this where mm-hmm. you know so many people are looking nice and you feel like well I don't measure up and and hey it's a reality there are some people that won't take you seriously or won't look at you as if you are on their level if you're not driving a certain kind of car it's true and and, and um, you have to just remind yourself that those really aren't the kind of people that you want to run with anyway yeah. uh, because the people who reject you because of the kind of car you drive are the people that will not drive through life together with you when the road gets rough. You know what I mean? Oh! Um, oh! So, uh, minimalist <laughs> maxims! <laughs> Dropping bombs. You know, it's interesting. I have had people tell me, they're, they're, they say, well, my profession, I have to look professional when I go out and meet clients. And you know what? Yeah. You can totally look professional without spending $60,000 on a car. Yeah, so I mean, I mean look, look I, professional, but be professional yeah. enough to not go out of so business. So anyone who's like, oh, good. but I'm a real, yeah, yeah, exactly, I'm a realtor. I gotta like, I gotta have a nice car so people respect me. It's like you do not have to have a sixty thousand dollar car. Yeah, you might have to have a decent car. No, not real. I mean, you know, Mike in, in Dayton, Dayton, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, my realtor is mm-hmm. a friend of mine, uh, and he's he's an older guy, but he's probably the most well known realtor in the city of Dayton, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, he's top three. Uh, he drives an old beat up Jeep <laughs> and never wears a suit to any of these things. But like he, he, he has, he's professional in a way that like he shows that he cares about other people. Ooh, he I, go, I love how he gets to choose his clients this way. Right. He filters out all the clients he doesn't want really quickly. The, the, the unnecessary high maintenance of someone mm. with weird expectations. Yeah, right? yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got a question from Bettina here. How do you? How do we appropriately help the homeless who are struggling to get back on their feet? Is there a free market solution to helping the homeless? Because right now we are botching it uh, from a, uh, uh, especially here in oh LA County, God. where there are somewhere between fifty and ninety thousand homeless people. And and get this, TK, because of the quote soft costs, uh, which are about seventy percent of the costs. 
Uh, we could, theoretically, uh, we, we could get Quonset huts, which is what a lot of soldiers returning home from World War II came back here. And they came to L.A. specifically because, like, the weather here is perfect. Right. I'll go get a Quonset hut. If you adjust for inflation, they're about $8,000 to build a Quonset hut here. Now, you can't because of housing regulations, which actually this will help answer Amanda's question here, too, about why are local governments resisting and allowing the presence of more economical minimalist abodes like tiny houses and RVs. And I would argue Quonset huts. Yeah. Um, and, and so we could supply Quonset huts for about $8,000 each without the government regulation. But right now, the average unit in L.A. County, if you provide housing for the homeless, is about $885,000 per unit. I'm from Dayton, Ohio. $885,000 will Man, buy you two insane. mansions. Yeah. In, it's unbelievable. Well, because, you know, uh, homeless people shouldn't be deprived of granite countertops. And that's what I mean. But seriously, it, that's one of the argument. I mean, that's like a piece of the argument. Right, that's crazy. right. Yeah. And, and and so there is. All and somebody's making that decision for everybody. Yeah, right. That's the real problem. So, so this is where regulations yeah. have gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. And and, and 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 so, you can even say, hey man, you can have whatever opinion you want. If you want to be of the opinion that everybody ought to have granite countertops, more power to you. As long as that opinion doesn't have any power to coercively restrict my options. But that's not what's happening. It's right. opinions like that that actually have the power to constrain innovation that could produce more in, more efficient solutions. Mm. I but think hey, the other thing is a lot of hands in the cookie jar too, right? Yeah, mm. yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I, I just want to say one quick thing on, on the homeless thing because I, I, I don't have the answers. I'm not an expert in this. I can't say everything that you should do about the problem. But but I, I will say one thing. You know, we talked about how political answers are not easy, but they are the easiest answers in that there are a few things that we can do and we can feel good about ourselves even if results aren't achieved. Personal answers are really hard uh, because personal an answers demand more of us, which is why it's easier to hide behind politics. Mm. Um, you know, um, because I don't have to go around smelly people to be political, you know? Yeah. I, don't, I don't have to go around anybody, you know, uh, with bad breath. If I want to be political, you can just have an yeah. opinion, right? Right. Yeah. So, so I'll tell you one, one, one. I like to speak to the individual, and I like to speak to the individual. Like, what can you do? No matter who's in office, what can you do? Even if next election season you identify with the group that lost, what can you still do any day of the week? Just using your own personal power. Um, one thing you can do is volunteer work, and you can give people who are homeless the gift of feeling seen and heard. Because I'll tell you. Being marginalized is more than about money. It's also about feeling unhuman, about feeling subhuman. It's, also, it's yeah. also about living a life where everybody runs the other way when you come down the street, where because you haven't been able to take a shower, people don't look at you, people don't talk to you. Before you can get a sentence out that says, may I have, people are already like, no, and they're, you know, I'm too busy, I'm going my own way. Mm. Like we underestimate the degree to which homeless people don't feel like human beings like they're not even entities in our world we, we we don't just despise them we fail to even see them they're invisible to us and there are some ways that you can without compromising your safety i'm not saying go down to venice beach at two o'clock in the morning and sit next to a homeless person and be like hey you know tell me about your life but there are some ways without compromising your safety that you can actually give homeless people the gift of your time and you can look them in the eye and you can say, what's your name, Yeah. right? Like, yeah, that's not gonna pro solve the problem systemically, but as an individual, you get to make a difference in one person's life and that's the kind of stuff that counts too. You know, you know? Ryan taught yeah. me this uh, a long time ago, but when, when you, if you walk past a homeless person in the street, even if I don't have like extra cash to give to someone, as opposed to ignoring them, it's not stopping and having the full conversation with them or, or, or anything like that, but it's simply saying, hey, look, I'm sorry, I don't have any extra, looking someone in the eye and say, look, I don't have the extra cash on me right now, I'm sorry, but I hope you have a great day. Yeah. Now sometimes, I mean, I've had, I've had some people say, no, screw you or whatever. I've had like, it happen yeah. one time. Yeah, I've had it happen a couple times, but most of the time it's like, oh, thank you. Yeah, I, like, I, like they're like, oh, thank you for seeing me. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for acknowledging me. Thank yeah. you for telling me to have a because I need to have a good day. Like, thank you very much. It's like there was only one time when I was in Dublin, Ireland, mm. and it was this, this woman who was obviously just drinking, and I did exactly that, and she like went off on me. But it was literally one out of thousands of cases I've had, especially in LA. Because like, I wish that everyone who asked me for a dollar, I could be like, here's a dollar. But like, if I did that to every single person in Los Angeles, well, then I would be absolute. I'd be broke. So uh, TK, I love what you're saying, man. Don't ask what we can do. Ask what you can do. Yeah, yeah. Mm.
That's it, man. Oh, that's another maximum. <laughs> <laughs> Heather says, does it make economic sense to purchase a tiny home? I would just, I would, I would append the question, Heather. Take the word economic out of this. Mm. Does it make sense to purchase a tiny home? And that, <laughs> I love that. And, and that, the answer is going to depend on you and your circumstance. Mm-hmm. For me and Bex and Ella, it would lead to a double uh, murder suicide. <laughs> Ella, man, I can't believe she'd kill both of you like that. <laughs> Dude, well, no, it's she'd funny. She'd kill me with kindness. I and lo- by kindness, I mean. Th- then we have our unsolved yeah. murder episode. D- yeah. yeah. No, I love uh, how you said take the economic thing out of it because you know what? It's economical to just get a tent and put it on Hollywood and just right. live in a tent. That's economically a good decision. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. and so economics are a part of the decision sure. that you're going to make. And I think, uh, I mean, y- you do a lot of work with fee, obviously. And so, so let's, let's talk about the ac- economics of most of our decisions. Um, it's going to be a ingredient of uh, a broader recipe, but, but we, we look at it sort of myopically or two dimensionally without looking at the whole thing. Yeah. Yes, Heather, it might make economic sense to you to purchase a tiny home, but what if you can afford it and you're miserable as a result? Did it make sense to buy the tiny home? Mm. Yeah, and in a case like that, I would actually contend that it wouldn't make economic sense, right? So, so I would make a distinction between economics and finance. Um, economics is, is, is the study of human action. Professor Ant Davies from George Mason University says, economics is the study of what happens when our unlimited desires comes into contact with our limited abilities and resources. How do we navigate that creative challenge? That's what economics is the study of. And so every decision is economical because it's not about the transaction cost alone, it's also about the opportunity cost. And every decision involves opportunity cost because mm. scarcity and sacrifice are an inherent part of choice itself. To make a decision is to collapse possibilities and, and to choose one thing over all the alternatives, right? Like as long as we're in thinking mode, I have a whole bunch of possibilities before me, but the moment I make a choice, I'm saying no to the overwhelming majority of it, and those become an opportunity cost that I pay for the thing that I do. Yeah. So if I'm buying a tiny house because I'm thinking, oh, it's gonna save me a lot of money, but it's also going to put me far away from my family, make me miserable, make me depressed. And the only victory I have in life is the victory of, well, at least I've got some cash reserves. That makes no economic sense at all, right? Mm -hmm. Like it just makes you a miser who has a few extra dollars, but you exchange meaning and happiness for it. You know, so I, I think you already pointed this out, but what a lot of these questions have in common is they seem to be coming from a framework that says, hey, give me the recipe. Give me the cookie cutter advice. Does it make sense to rent a car or does it make economic sense to buy it instead? Mm-hmm. Does it make economic sense to buy a suit, a tiny house, a cup of coffee, a second cup? Mm. Uh, which one is it? What's the mm. answer? Yeah. And, 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 and the, these, these kinds of questions sort of like overlook the value of the role that you play. Put yourself back into that question. You know, don't objectify yourself like that. Put yourself back into the question mm-hmm. and ask yourself, well, what makes my life meaningful? You know, um, and, and treat all of your decisions like investments in your own happiness and meaning. And for some people, that decision might be excessive. For others, it might be miserly. But what's right for you might be wrong for other people. But you've got to make your decisions from the standpoint of your own life mission. Like I said earlier, mm-hmm. make your financial plan an extension of your life mission. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it makes me think about living in L.A., man. I mean, economically, this is like one of the most expensive cities to live in, not just housing wise. Financially. Financially. Yes. Not economically, though. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for yeah. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's the sort of maxim you can get out of this is yeah. don't conflate uh, financial viability with, with economic yes. viability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, yeah, that's it, man. Yeah, but no, but I mean, living in LA, it's like it's a it's an awesome place to live, and yeah, there are some financial costs to go with it. But well, except for this week, for some reason. It's decided to rain and be the most ominous freaking weather in the world I think it's I've ever seen thing, in LA. Though, right? Like, know, because <laughs> it's a good thing because if we're talking about self quarantining, yeah. right? It's well, right. You, you're visiting, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've been self quarantining, and this is like the first time I've been in a room with more than Bex for a while now. Mm-hmm. And uh, even her, I make her wear a mask, but that's just a sexual fetish. <laughs> Um, uh, we don't we don't judge what you're into, man. It's a t- it's a TK mask. <laughs> That's funny. I make Mariah wear a TK mask, which seems really inappropriate with the. Uh, 
we're gonna get canceled after this not by our patrons oh yeah okay yeah, that's, that's <laughs> i just hope i still have my job <laughs> is it would it be racist if tk showed up in white face you cannot put bex in tk makeup <laughs> i'm just wondering if it's economical for me to be on this episode <laughs> kind of calculating the oh shit we better end it here <laughs> sean oh, cut out wow. the last 20 minutes <laughs> uh, no so so i i was thinking about this so like the the um the, the bad weather right now is probably keeping people inside m- m- more so than uh just the self-quarantining alone so if there's any time for it to rain it's now uh, yeah when yeah. the coronavirus is see, running wild see what los angeles provides for you yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and that's a good counter argument to the people that are like see god is punishing us you're like nah like god no. is protecting us right through Exa- the rain exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> all right y'all i i think that's almost it for this episode uh, is there anything else, TK, that we should touch on with, when it comes to economics? Uh, we, we've talked a lot here about the free market. We've answered a bunch of questions. We talked about these idiots in Chattanooga. Um, oh, by the way, if your name is Chuck or Chuckus, no offense, <laughs> really. Maybe if it's Chuckus, but not Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> TK, what, what, what should we end on here? Are there any principles that you want people to walk away from this episode with? Uh, we've talked a lot about money, wealth, economics, finances. I'll say this, you know... Uh, the love of money is the root of all evil, but an informed understanding of its nature and purpose is the beginning of much good. Once you come to understand that money, is, once you kind of come to understand that wealth is more than money, you not only have more to receive, but you have more to give. And mm. once you realize that you have more to give, you're in position to live the best kind of life imaginable because then you can experience wealth as something that you get to have by default as a result of creating wealth for other people. I'll close it on that. Dude, mm. that's beautiful, man. Because, yeah. I yeah, like you can actually have, you can be wealthier than a rich person and not have nearly as much money as them. Yeah. Totally agree. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. All right, y'all. TK, I want to encourage people to visit you, tkcoleman.com. Uh, we're, not we're, dot gov. <laughs> where can they find your show? Man, that's a new tagline, by the way. I never I like said it. that before. I, you guys inspired. I know, because we, we, yeah. we bring it out in you. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out at feed.org slash rev1. It's the revolution of one. All, All right. right. You can uh, find him on Twitter as well, at TK underscore Coleman. That's all we got for today. All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for the support, y'all. We really appreciate it. The Minimalists. <laughs>